good day, Fellowship family. It's great to have you. Thank you for being with us today. And today is our ministry market. If you walked in either our upper or lower atrium, you saw kind of opportunities for you to get connected into ministry. And here's a philosophy we have here at FBC. If you love and if you know and love Jesus, you are a minister. You're a minister. Every one of us is a minister. Some of us do it for a full-time position here at Fellowship Bible Church, but all of you are ministers. And that means that God has gifted you and, and wants you to serve him and serve others. And that's actually a part of you following Jesus is serving others. And so we want to open the doors wide open. We have hundreds of positions that are open and available for you. If you'll stop by one of our ministry areas there and get to know what's going on around here. I hear from a lot of people. They walk in through fellowship and they say, wow, doesn't look like fellowship needs any help. I hear from people also, boy, it doesn't seem like you need any money. But the truth is, if no one showed up to serve, we'd have to shut the doors. There's no way we could pay people to do what everyone else does around here. And secondly, there's we don't have these huge, vast amount of reserves here. If people stopped giving, we'd have to shut the doors. And that's all a part of God's plan. He wants all of us. We're better together than any one of us is alone. And so we want to, through this creative opportunity, for you to take a look at what's happening here and how you can be involved in what God's doing here. Stop by a ministry market area. Get to know what's going on. And here's the deal. If you stay around and stop by after this service and you're just open to maybe just that easiest thing for you to do, it may be parking cars, it may be greeting as people come in the doors, it may be uh, hospitality, or it might be something serving in our nursery or serving with children. Uh, my goodness, there are so many opportunities for you to do. I know God will grow your heart for him. So please do that. Try it out and experience God growing your heart for him, his word, and others. Now, I know there's going to be resistance, right? I'm really busy. My kids are doing this and that. There's always reasons. And we're going to actually talk about that today because self-control is the ability to say no to some things so you can say yes to the most important things. And we're going to talk about that. You know, as Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy, if you have your Bibles, open up there to 2 Timothy. We're going to spend most of our time in chapter 2, but I want to point out in chapter 1 something he begins the conversation with. He's going to call Timothy to endure, to endure amidst persecution through suffering, through sickness, through uh, challenges, through disappointments, endure. I just think about this as we approach this concept of enduring something. I know that in a room of people this size, many of you are struggling with difficult things. Some of you are struggling with marriages that aren't what you dreamed them to be. Some of you are struggling with children who aren't doing what you want them to do. Some of you have jobs that are really difficult and and you're struggling every day with that. Some of you have health issues that you've just gotten a diagnosis or you've had an ongoing diagnosis that has been a huge challenge. Some of you have an emotional uh, challenge. Each day you wake up and things are just not bright. They're they're dark. I want to want to just speak from my heart. I've prayed for you this weekend. Our whole staff has prayed for you that as God has entrusted you to us, your ears would hear the truth of God's word and your hearts would be open 
to endure, to keep on, to not give up, but to endure through this. This passage is all about enduring. In 2 Timothy 1, verse 6 and 7, Paul says this to Timothy. He says this. He says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which dwells in you through the laying on of my hands. And look at this. For God has gave us a spirit, not of fear, but look at these three things, but of power, but of love, and of self-control. And those, that's really the key to enduring. And here's the good news. You don't just have to try harder. It's, these are resources God has blessed you because he's a gracious, loving God and a kind God to you. He's provided everything you need to endure if you'll just trust him with these three things. Now, Paul is writing this as his final letter to Timothy. But it wasn't just his final letter to Timothy. It was his final will and testament, basically. You're going to see as you read just these four uh, short chapters in this book, you're going to see that Paul is loving. He's compassionate. Yet he's confident and he's courageous in his defense and call to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Timothy would pastor a church that was in Ephesus. Paul planted this church in his second missionary journey. And it was a church he loved. We know more about Ephesus than any other church in the New Testament. But Paul is writing to Timothy and saying, keep the faith. He lived at a time where uh, the Roman Empire basically thought that Christians were blamed and, and blamed them for everything that was wrong in the world today. Christians were, then efforts were made to eradicate them. So Christians were arrested, they were tried, they suffered, they were persecuted, and they were condemned to death. Paul himself, after the writing of this letter, we're not told exactly how long after, but a short time after, was led outside of Rome and decapitated for simply the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now Paul, Paul's life gives testimony that in our weakest moment, at the moment where he would be martyred, The power of Jesus was the greatest. And he endured as he was sourced by God's power, God's love, and God's self-control. And so there's some things we need to know. And as I read this passage, as we look at chapter 2, we're going to see some things. Actually, I've found three truths I want us to know about suffering and about pain and of loss and of, of frustrating and difficult moments. But then Paul also gives us three pictures or three visions of what it's like to endure. And then he's going to, again, source us in the three motivations on, on how to endure. Well, here's the deal. Paul is pleading with Timothy and now with us, the Church of Jesus Christ, in Topeka, Fellowship Bible Church, that there's going to be times when you want to give up. There's times when even what's easier and more comfortable for you, you're going to be tempted to go that route. But God says, stay. God says, endure for no other purpose to make, than to make his name greater than your own. And I think it's a message we need to hear. What do we need to know about suffering or about pain or about persecution? Well, number one, here's the deal. Persecution or suffering will be normal. It will be normal. Paul says in 2 Timothy 1 verse 8, he says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, 
nor of me his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Think about that. Paul is saying, look, if you're a follower of Jesus, what happened to Jesus? Jesus was arrested. Jesus was persecuted. Jesus was crucified. So as a follower of Jesus, whenever you're persecuted, you are sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. I, um, I've always thought that, that it's easier and the gospel expands and, and it's better when, when times are at peace. And there have been times, especially through uh, when Rome was leading, that the gospel could advance further because there was a time of peace. But when you see the New Testament church growing, it would be times of suffering. I used to think that God helps those who help themselves. I used to think that God does good things if you're good. He owes that to you. But as I read the scriptures and as my mind is informed and then corrected, I realize suffering's normal. We've got to really step away from that American dream mentality that has seeped into the American church and said, God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. And that there's no purpose in pain. There's no purpose in suffering. Look for what you've done that's wrong that God is getting you when you go through a difficult time. Here, what we read is, is Paul says, don't be ashamed about this. This is what God does. You, you share in the sufferings of Jesus. But he doesn't just say it there. He says it in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. He says this, But understand this, church, listen up, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. That's going to happen. Listen to this. Understand, folks, there are going to be difficult times. We're in the last days. That's going to happen. And then most clear, look at verse 13, or 12 of chapter 3. It says this, Indeed, Paul says, it's kind of the exclamation point. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Can I ask you a question? How many of you want to be like Jesus? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Seriously? Okay, good. How many of you want to suffer? Okay, how many of you want to be like Jesus? Let's just show it again. Okay, your pastor is telling you, keep your hand up. Keep your hand. How many of you will suffer? We will. That's part. Anyone who follows Jesus will suffer. But here's the deal. It won't be without purpose. It won't be without significance. It won't be without meaning. Because that's the second thing I want you to know, that persecution has a purpose. It does. I look around this world and I see the evils of ISIS decapitating people who are professing Christ. And I can get angry and I can go, how could that happen? How could a good God allow that to happen? But then I have to step back and I have to read the book of Acts. And I have to see how persecution expanded the church. We may not know in this lifetime why something happens. But don't check out of God. Don't say, well, I, because I can't think of what reason that he must not really be then loving. No, you don't have the right to do that. Your mind is not God's. Your purposes are not God's. Paul, uh, Paul says this. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he says, You then, you then, my child Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He says this right after Paul says, share in suffering. And right before Paul says, share in suffering. There's something here that Paul's saying, Timothy, I'm going to get knocked out here. 
my life is going to end and grow in God's grace. And you know what? If we could, uh, and we had the time, we could have you come up here, any of you who have gone through a time of suffering and held on to the hand of Jesus, and you could have showed us, you, you would say, oh, this is how God's grace grew in my life. This is how I knew God loved me. This is how God showed me he loved me through this difficult time. When you hang on to the hand of Jesus, you grow in grace in a time of suffering. But secondly, Paul is saying, don't let it be just about me. Christianity will go on because Jesus is greater than me. You take what I've given you and transfer it to many people. So if they kill one of us, many people will keep it going. And the church then has never been around one person except Jesus. The church is to entrust to faithful others who will teach and preach the gospel. Because persecution has a purpose. Book of Acts, Stephen, he's martyred in Jerusalem. If you were Jewish, that was your epicenter, that you were close to home. But what happened after, after Stephen was martyred is that people ran for their lives. They ran to a place called Samaria. They hated Samaria. It would be like us Kansans being forced to move to Oklahoma. That would be the worst. I did that just for David Hinkle, by the way. But... But persecution moved them to a place they never would have gone on their own. And when they landed there, guess what they did? They preached the gospel and the church grew and expanded. And it was exactly what Jesus said. You will be my witnesses. You will, because that's his plan. That's his purpose. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and then all around this world. Ends of the earth. That's God. God has a plan. We may not know that plan, but hang tight. I've seen it far too many in far too many people's lives to see, to, to walk away from God when you're going through a difficult time. It has a purpose. And number three, those who endure will be rewarded. Paul starts off this letter, 2 Timothy 1 verse 1. He says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. I want you to just focus on that that phrase, promise of life. That's it. Paul knew this was his last letter. And he said, I may die here, but I don't die. With Christ, I gain it all. I have the promise of life. And that's the promise we share today. That with Jesus, you never die. You always live with God for eternity. And that promise of life was a, allowed him to have with a perspective of endurance at a time, perhaps one of the most difficult times in his life. He wrote, he wrote from an underground cell in a Roman prison. But from that underground cell, just resounded and shouted the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it still is resounding and reverberating in our lives today. Persecution will be, those who endure will be rewarded. Verse 12 of chapter 1 also says, Paul says, this is why I suffer as I do. Because I I am not, uh, it says, uh, for I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. And that day is capitalized there because it was a day when Jesus returns. That's day when, judgment day, basically. And he said, God's going to guard that in my life. And whatever persecution, difficulty, trials, loss I go through here, it will pale in comparison to the greatness of knowing Jesus. 
But it's not just for what happens when we die, right? It's also for present. It's our present lives. It built confidence in the local church. It made them bold in the midst of persecution and suffering because they knew who they believed and they were convinced. It's like Job would do. Remember Job, he lost everything and he's, he, he, he loses his family. Only he has his wife and a few of his friends and his wife basically says, Job, curse God and die. But he had some huge questions as we do when we're going through suffering and trials. And God ends up speaking to him in the end and God doesn't answer his questions. He just says, Job, this is who I am. This is what I do. And Job says, now... I I used to hear of you with my ear, but now my eyes see you. What we're doing in here is the hearing of the ear. You're seeing the scriptures in front of your eyes. You're listening to the scriptures proclaimed. But now you move outside of this place in just a few minutes, if I stop preaching, (laughs) and you will go out and you will endure. And it's in those times of enduring that you will see God work in a way your ears haven't heard yet. See, God's going to reward you, even in the present, with a deeper trust and a deeper amount of grace. So here's the deal, church. Uh, You are going, it's going, suffering is going to be a normal part of following Jesus. But it will not be pointless. It will have a significant purpose. And it will be recognized, and it is rewarded by God. So endure. Endure, church. Endure in a time of difficulty. And Paul's going to give us three visions of what it's like to endure. And they're shown to us in verses 3 through 7. And I actually want to start out with the last of those verses because I think it's important. I'm going to actually go slower on this. He says in verse 7, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Think about that. Paul's saying, okay, I just gave you three pictures. Stop. Pause. Think about these things. Think continually about them. Dissect them. Keep them on the dashboard of your life because they shed light on something you don't want to miss when you're going through a difficult time. Let's take a look at that first one. It's in verses 3 and 4. Paul says, you are a soldier at war. Read along with me. It says this. It says, share in the suffer- in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Look at that goal. The goal of a good soldier in Christ Jesus is, number one, not to get entangled in the things that are happening, the less important things that are happening around you, but to be focused on pleasing the one who enlisted you. That person is Jesus, the one who called you into a walk with him. Why not get entangled? Answer, because there's a war going on, right? And in wartime, there are opposing forces, which Paul would kind of develop in Ephesians chapter 6, church in Ephesus again. He says, we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so therefore, he says, take up the whole armor of God. 
I got to see this kind of firsthand. I have two boys who are soldiers, James and Jack. They, they uh, serve in the Kansas Air National Guard. And after high school, they went down to Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio, Texas. One uh, in January, which was pretty easy in weather-wise, and the other in July, which July in San Antonio is just a few degrees cooler than hell. Um, not that I know. But, but it was so, they had to have endurance. And they were, I mean, they would send letters. It is tough, much diff- more difficult. I, why did I ever do this? One of them called in a, in a phone call. And we went to see him after the eight and a half weeks of uh, basic training. Some of you have done that. And when I first saw my son without hair running with his group, I wanted to go out there and grab him and hug him and yay. But they were instructed, look straight ahead. And all of them looked like, you know, they were going like that. And they were marching and they were saying their things. And we didn't recognize our kid without hair when we finally found him. Actually, the guy on the PA system, please stay off of the road. You know, I was the dad out on the road. <laughs> and, and he couldn't look at me. He couldn't look at me. Why did I felt cheated. But if they're going to war, they don't go, hi, everyone. It's always so good to see you. No, they stay focused because they had to be ready to, for battle. That's what basic training, basic training isn't a great vacation. It's not advertised. It's difficult to prepare you for battle. Keep the main thing, the main thing, Paul says. Don't get wrapped up in civilian affairs. Fight the good fight. Because there's something greater going on here. Don't mess with the war that God has called us into. Engage the battle. So as I was studying this, I went and saw Jason Bourne this week. I mean, it's church didn't pay for it. I did. But I, I just thought it would help me. Okay. <laughs> I love Bourne movies. How many of you like Bourne movies? Okay, so I watched the movie two hours long, and then I read the critique on it. And one guy goes, man, Matt Damon, who my wife says I look just like. Um, <laughs> Matt Damon only had 45 lines in the whole movie. It was two hours, 45 lines. And they expect that he will make $45 million over the course of this term. So he made a million dollars a line. Think about this, folks. And then I looked at another website that actually detailed all 45 lines. And 30% of them was, duck, get down, go, what, why? All that. So he said, for one word, he got a million dollars. So I thought, I need to structure my salary differently. <laughs> I need to charge for lines. I mean, us, well, we could never do that, church. We could never. But he can, because he's Matt Damon. But I, you know what? I watched the whole movie, and I didn't even realize it was 45 lines. That didn't bother me at all. Because here's the deal. He's in a fight. He's in a battle. He's dealing with a threat. I watch him because I like the engagement, the action of watching someone in the fight. He's a soldier in a term. He's engaged in a war and instinctively engages the fight. Folks, you are in a war. And Jesus will win this war. Endure, as Paul says, like a good soldier, alert, equipped, 
ready, not distracted, but engaged, led by Jesus, the one who called you, enlisted you, equips you, and empowers you. You're a soldier. Second picture. You're a runner in a race. You're a runner in a race. Look at verse 5. It shows you that second picture. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, we're about ready to hit the Olympics in Rio. And there's a lot of controversy around them. But here's the deal. With Olympians, the one who fi- ones who finally make it there and the ones who win, it's easy to watch them. It's easy to celebrate them. But few of us will imitate them. I mean, yes, we'll imitate the moment when they win, right? And we like standing with our trophies when we get a trophy. But few of us will go, wow, I'm going to put a thousand hours into the hundred yard dash this year. Very few of us will do that. We just like the finish line. But Paul is saying, look, you need to imitate a runner in a race in this way. Run according to the rules. Because just like uh, Paul knew, and in the Roman Olympics, he, or the Greek Olympics, he saw that uh, the runners had to, had to follow the rules and not cheat. They didn't have them at that time that we know of, but they didn't have the performing enhancing, performance enhancing drugs that we do today. They, the athletes didn't dope like ours do, and they aren't disqualified the, from the race as, as we might be as we approach this Olympics. Paul's saying there's no shortcut to discipline. I remember when I was a freshman in high school, 1980, the Boston Marathon was run. And a woman, run, uh, for, for women, this woman, Rosie Ruiz, won the, the Boston Marathon. And she was celebrated as she crossed the finish line. Uh, Boston policemen are celebrating and helping her cross there. She was actually crowned. She, they, put that, they put the leaves around her and she was celebrated as the winner until the other runners crossed and said, hey, we never saw her pass us. I don't remember anyone like her passing us. And then the taxi driver came forward, okay? She had hopped a taxi and had the taxi drop her off a mile before the finish line. And at the last mile, she sprinted and was tired after a mile. But here's the deal. We see her right now, and anyone in sports sees her as infamous, not as good. As someone is like, don't be like Rosie. And if you're running a race... Don't be like her. Don't cheat. Don't take a taxi in a marathon. And we still know 36 years later, she goes down as one of the top 10 cheats in all of sports history. Paul is saying, if you're running a race, follow the rules. Sometimes the struggle of life, the struggle of your race is going to tempt you to make life easier. To, to make life more comfortable for yourself by shading the rules, by taking a shortcut, by taking a taxi, by nudging someone out, out of the race. And, and here's the deal. Follow God's word and run the race. Next week, we're going to be talking about why we need the word, why all of us need not only to read it, but proclaim the word of God in our lives. Because without the word, you run your own race. And it's a different race. It's a race like this. No one tells me what to do. It's a race like this. How dare you correct anything in my life? How This is right in my own eyes. 
But as the book of Proverbs says, in its end, that race leads to destruction. Unless I have God's word and I'm following his word, I'll run my own race. And so will you. The race that matters has rules and a way that we're to call to run by and run with Jesus as his, his race can be won through his work in our lives. You're a runner in a race. Play by the rules. And then finally is a farmer at harvest. Take a look at verse six. It says this. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Farmers know all about this. When I moved here to Topeka, it seemed like everyone I met had a connection to a farm. Either you grew up on it, your grandparents still have it. You might even go and harvest the wheat at a Kansas farm. You know all about that all-in investment. You know about how hardworking that takes someone, not just to showing up to cutting wheat, but to showing up and, and, and plowing a field, fertilizing that field, tending and cultivating weeds out of that field. A farmer looks forward to and anticipates the harvest, and it gives him perspective on how to be hardworking in the meantime. I remember talking to one Kansas farmer. He said, I absolutely know when it's time to harvest. I go out into the field in that hot June sun, and I pick off a, a head of wheat, and I get those kernels, and I pop them into my mouth, and they taste like bread. Then I know the harvest's here. Some of you who have done that or who harvest here in ancient times, they actually did it with a sickle and they literally would have harvest, a harvest time because all the work would be proven. And a farmer at that time would say, good year. It was a good year based on the crop. And Paul is saying there's going to be a day when there will be a harvest, a harvest where God returns, he judges this world and he he brings a harvest of righteousness on earth as it is in heaven. The harvest doesn't appear overnight, but everything that's harvest has a beginning, has a middle, has an end. It's daily. My idea of harvesting is going in, walking into Hy-Vee or Dillon's and picking the produce I want that I don't have to wait for. But in everything I or you purchase, there's a farmer behind it who said, good year. Great year. Be that farmer, church. Be the hardworking farmer because there's something about when you put the work in to celebrate at the harvest. Look what I got to be a part of. Look at the fruit. It's one of the reasons we call you into the hard work of ministry. Ministry isn't always easy and there's challenges in it. And you're going to be tempted to walk away from it or not be involved. Some of you were hurt by ministry. But think about the harvest. It's greater than any one person can hurt you. Re-engage. Get back in because God wants a harvest here. Farmers celebrate the harvest because they endured the process. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Some of you have shared the gospel with people and they said, forget you. That's crazy. Did you lose your mind? And others of us will share the gospel with the same person and they'll come to Christ. Be easy for you to say, I stink at sharing the gospel. But what Paul's saying here is no way, no way. It's God who opens the eyes. Until God opens the eyes, keep preaching the gospel. Keep preaching the gospel. 
Paul's going to give us, just as we close here, three motivations to endure. If this is who we are, if we're a soldier, if we're a runner, if we're a farmer, then what motivates us? And he's going to show us that it is God is the one who sources these three people whom we are. Let me point you again back to 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Let's talk about that first one. Uh, you're a soldier in the battle. Folks, don't run away in fear. God has not given you a spirit of fear. You have been trained for this. You are equipped for victory. God has given you a spirit of love. So engage the battle you're in with love. His love. This is so key. If you love King Jesus, you will endure. Here's what I found. If I love my life, I will not endure for Jesus. If I love my position, I will not sacrifice or I'll get jealous when someone gets the glory. If I love the kudos that I have from being in my ministry role, or if I love the encouraging words that people, you know, send me, and I thrive off of those, when I go through a difficult time, I will not endure. We have to love Jesus. Love your king. Love the one who called you into his service. And love him deeply and sacrifice for him. You're in the war he's called you into. You're his good soldier. Fight the good fight. Secondly, you're a runner in a race. Church, runners, know the rules and run by them. And don't take shortcuts. When you finish, finish without regrets or a secret that will embarrass you when the truth, which God protects, will ultimately and finally win in your life. Don't let those embarrassments Cloud your legacy or the legacy of people who will follow you. Allow God to source you with his power. Endure that trial with power from his word. Again, I want to invite you back next week because we're going to talk about the power of God's word in our lives and how we can proclaim that through our words and our actions. There's going to be resistance to you finishing the race God has mapped out for you. A runner really knows that. They know the things that are happening inside their bodies and things that are happening around their bodies. That's why if you're a runner, you need a cheer team. You need to be enduring with a church family. You need people to go, yes, keep on, finish empty, but finish according to the rules. You need someone who said, hey, hey, don't take that taxi. We need people to do that in our lives. Run this race well and finish the race. And then finally, you're a farmer and you've got a crop in the field. Don't ignore the work that God has you in in that field for. You will be the first to share in the harvest. God has given you for this task a spirit of self-control. So expect the reward and live with self-control. Self-control is the capacity to say no to some things in order to say yes to the great things, the best things. If you're all about freedom in, in your finances then you have to be willing to say no to that next email that tells you something you really need at 90% off is something you need to have, but that will put you into debt. You need to be able to say no to that next thing 
so that you can say yes to the best thing. If you're all about leaving a godly legacy, which it will require you to practice self-control with your time, your energy, your words, your finances. If you're all about authentic relationships and and, uh, loving people, then you need to say no to things like gossip and anger and deception and revenge and say yes to things like love and acceptance and forgiveness and long-suffering. If you're all about community and you really know that you are better together than you ever could be alone, then you need to be able to say no to one more thing to do and yes, maybe yes, to a small group or yes, to a ministry, something that will connect you with God's people. See, the reward is this. It's going to be worth it for you to endure. You have no idea of what God has prepared in advance, in advance for those who loved him and are, are called according to his purpose. You have no idea, but it's going to be better than even your expectations. God wants us to expect a great reward from him because he's a good God. Paul will write and he will finish this book and he says this. Remember the three pictures he gave you? I have fought the good fight because he was a soldier. I have finished the race and he followed the rules. I have kept the faith. And now God's stored up for me and he talks about that reward that harvest in his life but you know what because this was true in paul's life because he was willing to endure we now have his words for us thousands of years later that the holy spirit uses in our lives to help us endure in the present struggles that we have so think about these things and god will give you understanding You're a soldier, you're a runner, you're a farmer. Endure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today, which reminds us, and many in this room need that reminding, including myself, to endure. To endure. You have given us a role to play in your war, in your race, and in your field. We thank you for including us. And may we be people who are sourced by you, that that we know the difference between us just trying harder and us trusting deeper. Thank you. Thank you for giving us a spirit of power and love and self-control. And we want, Lord, we want your harvest in our lives through those three values. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.